Hey folks, welcome to the big dudes in the trenches. There are only two of us this week. Uh, well, this episode, I guess. We do two a week, if you didn't know. Catch us live on Twitch and get some notifications when we go live. Uh, yeah, leave the noties on. Yeah, Tug's not here because reasons. I think, I think the Air Force hates him. That's entirely possible, and I think <laughs> it's the best working theory we have right now. Yes. The other working theory is that the Lord himself hates Tug and has sent snow in just massive piles upon his location. And no matter what, his weekend would have been ruined, uh, which is a solid working theory. However, the Air Force hating you is more plausible. Um, and it's one I can get behind. Yes. <laughs> but we have a whole slate of XFL games to review. This weekend was a lot more exciting than we let on last time. <laughs> I'm going to come out and say it. We thought one game was going to be a complete gong show. It was the best game of the fucking week. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's a thing that happened, and we will be discussing all of that. I could uh, not be more happy to be wrong, by the way. <laughs> Fuck you. Let's get going here with the first game of the weekend. No better place to start than the Seattle Sea Dragons and the Arlington Renegades, who still look like a D to me. I hate that logo so much. It is easily the worst logo I've ever seen <laughs> for... Wanted men, they had it made, they had it made, and <clears throat> this team is yeah. just not good. Uh, yeah, and Seattle, thing, Seattle's the one who got the bounty, though, so it you know worked out, worked out for the Sea Dragons. This is this is falling on its face, kind of. Uh, this was, I will say this about Sea Dragons in this game for sure. This was the first time they didn't play down to their competition, and one thing I did notice though is they still kind of had trouble with the run game. Looks like that might be getting resolved because this came out on April 1st, this announcement. Yeah. And I I was like, dude, skeptical. Yeah, reasonably skeptical, but I was like, dude, this just happened. Philip Lindsay has signed with the Seattle Sea Dragons. That's no bullshit. That's no April Fool's joke. I this is a very scary team now at this point. Because Philip Lindsay yes. had a couple really good years. He's smaller, uh, so he has some durability issues in the NFL or concerns, rather. I think it's probably a better Way to put it. I don't know that durability was ever necessarily an issue for him in particular, but it was constantly coming up. Like, how long can he hang in there? He's going to improve the Sea Dragons team, and they're already a very good team sitting at five and two and tied for second place uh, in the North Division. DC better count their lucky stars that they're playing Seattle this week and not like in two or three weeks yeah. to give Philip Lindsay time to learn playbook and everything. Uh, this is your best shot right now because Seattle is terrifying now. And yeah. also, I absolutely despise we're only going to get two of these teams from the North in the playoffs. Dude, and the South is wide open. We'll talk about that at the end. When we get right. through all the games, we'll talk about the kind of the playoff picture scenario here. Uh, another thing to point out for Arlington, you know, uh, Drew Plitt had to play, and he played – like he wanted to keep his job. Like he knew Luis Perez was coming to take it. And he said, uh-uh, this is still mine. It's still mine. I'm still going to, I'm going to take it. I'm going to keep it. And then it kind of all fell apart for him. And the door is wide open for Luis Perez to finish learning the playbook and take control of this team and hopefully get him back on the winning 
side of the ball because they're sitting at three and four. They're very much in danger of not making the playoffs. And they've got to face uh they've got to face a very hot team who's coming off a very big win uh this upcoming week. And it's they ha- this is a absolute must win for Arlington right now for a couple of reasons. It is, and Drew Plitt is now on the inactive list with an injury. Uh, will not play this coming weekend. So they signed another quarterback. In addition to Luis Perez, they also have Kelly Bryant on the roster now, who used to be at Clemson, went to Mizzou, went undrafted, and played for the FCF for a little while, actually. Uh, Kelly Bryant's been around, trying to work his way into the league somehow. I expect him to probably be very good in the XFL. It'll take a little bit, though. Like, he's not going to be ready... I think I think the Renegades now have the same problem uh, with a different reason than they had last time. Because we know Luis Perez is very good in the XFL. He's been good in the XFL both times he's been here, and he was good in the FC or the uh, AAF as well. Yeah, I believe Kelly Bryant's going to be a very good quarterback. So you're going to have two quarterbacks that can succeed in this league, whereas before they had two middling quarterbacks that neither one really wowed you. Mm -hmm. So it's. It's a revolving door. Uh, at least it's a little bit better reason that they're going to have to have a QB competition this time around in Arlington. The final score of this one was Sea Dragons winning 24-15, to 15, covering the five-point spread and the over of 35-and-a-half hitting. Seattle's at 5-2 and two and Arlington's at 3-4. and four. And like I said, they are – the door is wide open in the South. They're in second place in the South, all right? This is – yeah. And technically, in the XFL, this is a one-possession game. But if you can't tell by the way we're talking about it, it really didn't feel like that. Seattle felt like the much better team by the end of this thing. Um, I mean, we've talked about it all year. Arlington's defense is the best part of that team by far. And they're just not good enough to always keep their offense afloat. And, and Seattle this was- has found their one-two punch. It feels like they've they've – Figured out the jab, got it working. So Seattle's scary. And it's worth mentioning, this is something we saw pretty much all week. I think there was only one. I think our next game was probably the only exception. Where it seemed like the second half, the defenses came out and made adjustments. And the offenses right. had a hard time uh, adjusting and doing things differently. It's It was a very, very fun week to watch and see just how much these teams have improved. And it... <sighs> The question coming in was, will Arlington's defense be enough to stop Seattle? And in the second half, by and large, it was. The problem was it wasn't to start the game, and Seattle still has more talent than they do than Arlington does on defense. Arlington won the second half. They can take some solace in that, I guess. But they lost the first half by way too much. (laughs) That they did. So moving on to our players of the game, both guys are on the Seattle Sea Dragon side. If you're watching uh, either on YouTube or Twitch, you'll notice that Clarence Hicks uh, is in his UTSA jersey. Uh, that is not intentional. That is literally the best picture we can find of Clarence Hicks. And he's still wearing number nine, so at least we have that going for us. At least, Yeah, at least it works out for us. You know, Fred Trailer, he, he gives the low digits to his best players, and he was the ninth best player in his eyes, so that says a lot about him. Ah, but also says a lot about the UTSA team. Clarence Six was the ninth best player. Dude, mm-hmm. UTSA has been on the come up for a while. I'm so glad they got into the American. 
Feels good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Sticking with Clarence Hicks, though, the reason he's our defensive player of the game, he had two solo tackles, five total, one sack, and one TFL. A pretty amazing game for him. Yeah, just a, just kind of a disruptor. And the best disruptor for either team. These stats don't pop out necessarily like it compared to some of our other defensive players of the game in the past. But if you watch the game, you'll know Clarence Hicks was making plays when he, when the team needed him to he was in the right place at the right time. That sack was huge. And uh, I think it was the only sack they had the whole game. So pretty good stuff from the linebacker position. Of course, we do have our offensive player of the game as Ben DiNucci. It's hard to deny this guy when he's probably going to win league MVP at this point. It feels very probable. I, I think it's tilted in his direction a little bit more now, yes. 266 yards through the air, 52 yards on the ground, leading the team in rushing. I'm sure they're hoping that does not continue with the addition of Philip Lindsay, but he's led the team in rushing a couple weeks in a row now. Uh, only one touchdown for him and one interception, but it was enough and moved the offense when they needed to. I believe Josh Gordon caught the touchdown, didn't he? Let me double check. Yes, it was to Josh Gordon, which that was his first big play in a very long time. Well, and it's worth mentioning too, you know, one of the, uh, one of the bets on the pick this week was Josh Gordon and Jacor Pearson yards over under. Yep. The Renegades came out and were very effective at doing that. The problem is there's one, two, three, four, five, six other guys that caught passes this week. Yeah. I mean, Danucci was spreading the ball around. He was doing everything. It's th- That's why he won player of the game, because he spread the ball around so well. It didn't matter that they were covering up his two best receivers. Yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a masterclass of ball distribution. I don't think anybody had over 50 yards receiving. Like, it was... <laughs> what? 70, 79 was the high and 68 was the okay. second highest. Okay, I mean, still. still. We're, not, we're not setting the world still. on fire here. <laughs> it, was, it felt that way anyway, so... <laughs> yes, to, uh, to double back here, Clarence Hicks did record the lone sack for the Sea Dragons. Big game. Big game there. Good good stuff. Moving right along, though. Kind of... uh, Man, this this one's tough. It was the San Antonio Brahmas versus the Vegas Vipers. Uh, Right off the top, the Brahmas lose this one, 12-26. Both teams are 2-5. Vegas covered the 2.5 and and the under of 38.5 hit. Here's the biggest problem for San Antonio. Kurt Benkert, fourth starting quarterback for this team, and he looked good when he was in. He looked good until he got banged up. He got banged I, up I, at gosh, one point. I think, it was, I think it came out today, two broken ribs, I believe. What a warrior. He yeah. Until he got hurt, you really thought San Antonio was going to run away with this one. But he got hurt. And he took an, and at halftime, they were trying to put additional padding into his flak jacket there. And then he, he's like, no, it's, it's more uncomfortable to do this. Let me go back out there. He takes another shot, ended up coming out of the game. 
And it, it was all over but the shouting from there. And it, it, it really is disappointing that that kind of is what it comes down to because there was a lot of other great things about this game. So, Kurt Ben, Kurt aside, yeah. Jalen McClendon also made his starting debut for the Vegas Vipers, who, of course, just traded away Luis Perez. And he was fantastic. I know. It was, this was very surprising to me. I know that the Vipers were technically the favorites. I saw this as an upset. Like I did too. I In my mind, there was no way the Brahmas were going to lose this game. And then Jalen McClendon, out of nowhere, just proves us wrong that they should have traded Luis Perez, actually. This guy is better for the Vipers. Like, I did not expect that in the slightest. And this is probably the worst game defensively for the Brahmas. I do want to chalk up some of that to this being McClendon's first start. You have no tape on the guy. Most people have never heard of this guy before. Let's be real. Like the classic tug line. <laughs> right. Gotta gotta help Tug's <laughs> uh, brand awareness here. But McClendon came out with no film. San Antonio couldn't study him, couldn't prepare for him. He did play differently than Luis Perez had been, and it worked very well. Not only to move this offense, but to move it against this particular defense, which was preparing for a different kind of offense, it felt like. And those adjustments ended up kind of happening. There were only seven points in the entire second half across both teams. Vegas scored a touchdown, and that was it. Uh, Felt like both defenses clamped down. The Vipers, because they hurt (laughs) San Antonio's quarterback. San Antonio, because they did make some adjustments. But to come out the way they did was extremely impressive. I did not expect that from the Vipers. I'll tell you what, we the turning point in the game, there were a couple of amazing there were three amazing touchdowns in this game. And the first one it does not involve any specific player that I want to put a huge spotlight on. Uh, and that was Rod Smith receiving a pass out in the flat and then just going. Running back for the Vipers. He's at about the three, five to three yard line. Sees the hit coming low, just hurdles him, goes into the end zone. That was the turning point in the game for me. And the reason I say that, as we move to our players of the game, and we'll start with the honorable mention, Fred Smith also had two game-changing touchdowns. First, his receiving touchdown, where much like Rod Smith, down near the end zone, instead of a hurdle, it's a massive stiff arm. And he Mm -hmm. goes and finishes the runoff. And you're thinking, man, they could not have any more of the the momentum if they wanted to. And then he returns a kickoff for a touchdown. The first in the XFL this year, 96-yard return. That was 96. It was 123 return yards on four returns, by the way. And it was he saw the hole. He hit it. He brushed the kicker off. And then that was all she wrote. No, Nothing but green grass ahead of him. Really, between those two plays by Fred Smith, I thought there's no way that the Brahmas lose this one. And then, like I and said, Rod Jaylen Smith McClendon has that happened. hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> and then our offensive player of the game happened. Uh, 264 yards, two touchdowns. Did have 25 yards on the ground as well. Not exactly his game, but he looked, you know, relatively comfortable. When he needed to run, he was willing to take off. Uh, I was very impressed. And I know the, the announcers for the game were loving on him by the fourth quarter. That I don't 
I try not to listen to the commentators, honestly, most of the time. Oh, uh, it was killing me. <laughs> it was killing me. We'll get there. <laughs> I know we'll talk about that later, too. But this game in particular, the end of the game, about put me yeah. in my fucking grave. <laughs> but Jalen McClendon absolutely deserved the hype that he was getting. Uh, some of the conversation around this Vipers team will definitely change going forward because of him now and this one performance. It was pretty dang good. And then defensive player of the game, I did pick a Brahma. That Jordan Williams played the best out of anybody on the defensive side of the ball. Three TFLs for him and 11 total tackles. That is the same exact picture we used last week. Back-to-back Jordan Williams deep hogs. <laughs> uh, very impressed with Jordan Williams' play this season so far. And feels like the kind of guy who might either be a really solid star for the league or get an actual practice squad shot, NFL shot here pretty soon. Absolutely. He's, he has been all over the field. He's been an absolute disruptor for the Brahma's defense. It's He's got to get a chance, right? I think this is what a guy that they keyed in on too. Like how is he – I will say for all the complaints we have about the announcers, and we have a ton – they fall in love with guys and give them as much airtime as they possibly can because they are right. There are a lot of guys in this league that deserve another shot. Right, right. And there's a lot of guys in this game that deserve another shot as well. We're talking, of course, about the D.C. defenders traveling down to Orlando and playing in front of about 15 people to lose their first game of the season to the Orlando Guardians, 37-36. to 36. Orlando... A nine and their a half, first game of the season. A nine-and-a-half-point oh, underdog. The over-under was 45-and-a-half, and both teams absolutely destroyed it. This was probably the only one where I would say the defenses didn't make uh, complete adjustments, but I won't say right. that the defenses necessarily lost this game either. It wasn't like these defenses struggled the entire game. It was just as these offenses found another gear and put on right. an absolute show. Yeah, every time I started to get a little bit comfortable, Orlando just kept swinging, kept coming back. I really legitimately hated this game. (laughs) Almost every second of this game was just miserable, waiting for something to finally happen good for the defenders. I'll tell you what I hated. I hated that Quentin Dormady is the guy. I would have loved for this to have been Paxton Lynch. I hate that Quentin Dormady is the guy. But he, there's no denying that he is, and we'll talk a little bit more about him here in a minute. You only hate him because he used to go to Tennessee. I mean, I hate him because he's not Paxton Lynch, but that doesn't help. You're correct. I'll also add, they, they keyed in on this during the game that Terrell Buckley's had it. Like Orlando has been one of the most undisciplined teams all year, and we've yeah. noted it pretty much every week. Last week, we even said, hey, it's getting a little bit better. Yep. And then this week, even more better. More better. That's how good it was. Way more better. Appar- apparently, Terrell Buckley was making his team run every time they false start, jumped off sides, just like old school, high school two-a-days. Like, all right, cool. Y'all fuck up, we're running. You fuck up, we're running. I mean, just laying the wood to him. And I think it, it paid dividends because we did not see especially costly penalties uh, to the Guardians this week. We did see costly penalties to the defenders, though. A little bit uncharacteristic. 
Not sure what changed. This is one of the least penalized teams in the league up until this week when they had dang near 100 yards against them in penalty yardage. Mm-hmm. Like, And they didn't get a defensive score, which has been really the difference it's in most paramount. games this season. Honestly, uh, pick sixes have played a huge part in going 6-0. and oh. The defense couldn't find the ball this weekend. Uh, the no takeaways, no force fumbles, no interceptions, nothing. It was actually nine to six on the penalties from DC. But I'll tell you what, the six that Orlando had, the only one I remember is Savion Furcron getting a personal foul penalty, and that's it. The only reason I remember that is because I mentioned it to my wife that he went to SIU. It's the yeah. only one that I remember them committing. And I think more importantly, what really did it for Orlando was winning the possession battle, 34-54, almost 35 minutes possession. You keep it out of Jordan Tomu's hands. You keep it out of Abram Smith's hands. Good things are going to happen. I think more importantly, keep it out of Abram Smith's hands because even still in this game, we saw it as the game went on, Abram Smith got better as a running back. And he yeah. started to started to break loose a little bit. 20-yard gains, let him go another possession, keeping that up. That would have been 40, 50-yard gains. Another possession beyond that, we've seen it in person before. He, <laughs> he gets pretty scary pretty fast. So. 18, Abram Smith, 18 carries, 127 yards. He had a terrific game, and every right. time he got the ball and got you know two strides in open space, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be the one. Fortunately, his long was only 23 but, man, that was just a shoelace tackle that just saved Orlando there. Right. And uh, just to just to throw salt in the wound, we almost saw the longest field goal. Green will attempt a 63-yard field goal. It's on its way. No good. And Orlando gets their first win of the season. Green. And legitimately, legitimately very close. Yeah. Surprisingly close. It was probably about four yards short, I'd say. Five yards. Which makes it worse because he also missed a 29 yarder. I know. (laughs) I know. It was about four or five yards short and a little bit to the right. Just a little bit to the right. Probably about four yards to the right. It would have Yeah. I mean, it was I saw it go up. I was like, "Directions, man!" I was like, "No way did he just fucking make this?" And they, they got out of this one. No way. If that would have happened, I might have recognized at least that one kicker as a person. He might have been a human person this weekend. Well, and what's funny is the the XFL record for field goal was set in the next game. We'll get there in a minute. In the meantime. There was an XFL record broken. Yes. Uh, It was not by a kicker. It was by a quarterback, Quentin Dormady. Now, I will say it does give me some hope in my DC defenders here that it did take an XFL record performance to beat them. Uh, And Quentin Dormady had the greatest day you could possibly ask for. 328 yards, three touchdowns through the air, eight carries, and three touchdowns on the ground, most of them very short yardage. But Doesn't matter. It was Quentin Dormady show all day. Six touchdowns from the quarterback. Six. And it 
it was impossible not to give him offensive player of the game. Right. But because, I mean, that's just – that's video game numbers. Right. The guy we wanted to give it to, and we're definitely giving an honorable mention to here, Cody Latimer, seven receptions, 93 yards, and one touchdown. And that one touchdown, he would not be denied to get into oh, yeah. the end zone. He abs- he's got that ball, and he said, "I'm scoring." He did not care. It was it kind of reminded me of the uh, the Josh Gordon touchdown against Vegas, where he caught it took a few steps back and let the Vegas defenders hit each other, except Latimer actually took some contact here. Right. But he just, he slowly, he's just like, nope, you're not stopping me. And once he got clear of him, he was gone. Yeah. I know. That's fantastic. He didn't break a hundred yards though, (laughs) which means he doesn't even get on the slide. It's not comparable to the six touchdowns of Quentin Normandy. Not at all. Uh, also, defensive player of the game, I did want to give a shout-out to Matt Elam, who is pictured here as a Baltimore Raven. If you'll remember this guy, he went to the University of Miami, was a first-round pick by the Baltimore Ravens, played like two and a half years before getting released, uh, got in some legal trouble, found his way into a couple of spring leagues now. This is his probably his last shot. Honestly, the way things had been going for him. Uh, last time out with the XFL, did play for the defenders and didn't really stick. Didn't stick around for more than a couple of weeks anyway. Uh, but now with the Orlando Guardians, really putting up one of his best performances out of the safety position that I've seen out of him in a very long time since probably his sophomore season in the NFL. Eight total tackles, seven of them by himself. Nothing on the ball. He's not always been a ball hawk anyway. He's kind of a rangy safety who can make hits, and he did that quite often and prevented Abram Smith from breaking loose one of those 60, 70-yard touchdowns that he's kind of known for now. Uh, Matt Elam was a huge part of that, and not as much of a good job by the Orlando front seven this really was the defensive backs stepping up in a big way. And Matt Elam felt like the leader of that, that unit, this game. I don't know if that's always been, and I don't know if that's actually true. It just kind of felt like that watching this game had to shout him out. Absolutely. And it was this, this game. There's, there's so much to say about it. You're honestly, you need to go fucking watch this game. This is if there is one game in the XFL all year through seven weeks that you need to watch, it's this one. Because if you, it was, it was if they, phenomenal. if they took the records off of the screen, you'd have thought these were the two best teams in the league. This is what you would have expected seeing DC and St. Louis, or even when DC played Houston. This is the type of game you would have expected, and it was the best team and the worst team. And maybe, maybe having nothing to lose played into that. This was it's possible. This was special. And that takes us to what we thought was going to be the best game of the week. And it was a very good game. It was. Very it's not tough. As good as Orlando for some reason. <laughs> very, very tough to follow up. Right. But I thought this one did a pretty good job. We're, ta- of course, talking about the last two teams we haven't mentioned the St. Louis Battlehawks facing off with the Houston Roughnecks. St. Louis would win this one 24 to 15 and improve to 5 and 2, while Houston 
falls to four and three. Only one game ahead of second place. And three Arlington. losses in a row. Yeah. Rough stall out for the Houston Roughnecks here. Houston was a two and a half point favorite in this one. Which, if you ask me, that was home field advantage. That's the only reason they got the favorite in this one. Yeah. Because I thought this game was going to be pretty even going into it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the under the over the line being set at 44 and a half, I thought was insane. I'm not at all surprised at the under hit there. I did expect some defensive play here to take charge. And the Battle Hawks did what they do. It was long drives to score, not a lot of big play offense. Houston really they had a couple big plays, but that was not their entire offense this week. Well, it didn't help Houston that Brandon Silvers wasn't able to go at all. Yeah. They have actually been kind of making it work with a two-quarterback system, which is very unusual, but it actually kind of has been working for Houston where they have Brandon Silvers in as your like consistent mid-range passer, Cole McDonald to take the occasional deep shot at wow the world. How is this guy not the starting quarterback? Oh, wait, it's because he can't hit short and medium routes. And yeah. also he can run. So they had uh, they had kind of a good setup going there. This was the Cole McDonald show. Yes. I got to be real. Cole McDonald actually played pretty well. Here's like here's the thing. For, for what we can expect out of Cole McDonald, I guess. I called him the most exciting quarterback in the league last week. And part of the reason was because he does some insane stuff and some stuff that quarterbacks shouldn't do, like right. throw across your body. So if you fumble to start – if you recover a fumble to start the game, Brian Hill's first fumble of the game, by the way. We'll get back to that. You probably don't want your quarterback throwing across his body on the very next drive in the red zone and getting intercepted. But that's what Cole McDonald does because he did it last week and they scored a touchdown off of it, if I remember right. Or at least got a first down. He is a gunslinger. And the biggest problem for them was the run and shoot works well when you can shoot. But they were having so much success on the ground with Max Borgi that – they never really got in a good passing rhythm. And as much as we love Cole McDonald and as good as he did look, he struggled a lot, right? He looked good. He had 15 completions, but he had 17 incompletions. That's I know. that's where the bad comes in. I know. And that's kind of where we get back to not having Brandon Silvers in there for kind of the, the steady hand really does make a difference. Cole McDonald, when he makes a big play, it's memorable and it's flashy and it's very exciting. Uh, he doesn't always do that. It's very hard to do that consistently. And yeah, Houston was hurt for for it. But back to what you were talking about with the fumbles, uh, St. Louis had a couple. And uh, with that in itself, I thought Houston had a good shot at this until the final buzzer. Yeah. Well, so the second fumble for Brian Hill comes in the fourth quarter with St. Louis trying to salt the game away, and it ends up being a scoop and score, which puts St. Louis in a very precarious position where I believe Houston was only down, what, one point at that point? I mean, it's not yeah, it's not a good yeah. spot there. St. Louis would go down and score on the next drive, and credit to Anthony Beck and the entire St. Louis offense for having faith in Hill they kept going. They kept feeding him. They kept giving him right. the ball, letting him do his thing. And you know the 
the announcers incorrectly stated that he was from St. Louis. He's not. I'm not going to let them claim a guy, a kid from Belleville, Illinois. All right. I'm just not going to, it's not going to happen. He's close enough. He is close enough. He's from the St. I'll give him, I'll give him the St. Louis metro area. He is not from St. Louis. But they talked about too. Dude, you're practically from St. Louis. Fuck off. <laughs> they talked about too. They said, you know, he's the heart and soul of this team. He's yeah. wanted to be on this team. And it makes sense. He wants to play in front of essentially his hometown fans and put on a show. Like nobody was more upset about those fumbles than Brian Hill. I promise you that. And even with those fumbles, he probably was the it was still obvious he was the driver of the offense. Everything was still being called kind of through him. Mm-hmm. Not even through AJ McCarron, who's probably the second best quarterback in the league. I don't know that anybody would really fight me on that right now either. So it's, yeah, it's still a like a traditional offense mm-hmm. where you need that running back to do well. And somehow they got away with him putting it on the ground a couple of times. And only, only lost one of them, but that was a fumble six. So the, he lost both of them. Lost both of them. I thought they were, I thought they fell on the other one. My bad. Nope. Houston got it. And then, you know, Cole McDonald threw the interception. You're right. But to like, just to kind of cement how much faith they have in him, the one point conversion to make it a nine point game, which, okay, I get it. Forced him to take a three point conversion. That's a low percentage play. Two point conversion is the highest percentage. Uh, they gave it to Brian Hill and said, run it up the gut. Now they were aided by a penalty, if I remember correctly. They were. But they running... were running half the distance to the goal, and it puts them on the one yard line. And we've talked about this. You don't and... do that against Houston. <laughs> it's always a bad idea to run on the one yard line against this Houston front seven. Uh, and then they made it. Yeah. It what was. It was awesome. <laughs> What the fuck, uh, St. Louis? You're not allowed to do that. That's against the rules. <laughs> Unfortunately, there was another story with this game, uh, and that was that it started 15 minutes late. Yeah. And I'm sitting there. I don't have cable. So I'm just on ESPN+. Plus. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Why is it not starting? The replay of every, you know, the the stupid little ad that replays whenever a show be- before a show begins or ends a live event. I'm like, I'm going to blow my brains out if I if somebody doesn't tell me what the fuck's going on. I'm scrolling through Twitter, like, what is happening? Is there a storm down there? No, no. Pickleball was on ESPN2. Uh, St. Louis had already scored by the time the ESPN2 crowd joined us. And uh, the Roughnecks OC, to start the game on his little play sheet, he held it up in front of the – in front of the camera, he it might have just he might have just held that up and it didn't have anything on it on the inside. He might have been reading the play sheet, you know, on his desk or whatever. But it said, "I am the real pickleball champion." Like this is completely unacceptable. And we'll talk more about that uh, at another point in the show. Don't worry. But we also had the XFL long field goal in this one by Donald Hageman, the kicker for the Battle Hawks. It was fifty nine yards. Congratulations there. It's not 60, so you don't get player of the game recognition. Instead, on the offensive side of the ball, we have Darius Shepard, seven catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. And Doug gave me a little bit of shit for this, and reasonably so. So the stats for Hakeem Butler are not amazing. But 
there was like two catches he made that were great, but other than that, come on. Not but the game. He also looked at AJ McCarron in his face and put his hands up and caught the ball. Something he hasn't done all year. He finally did it. He caught a ball standing still, wide open. It was beautiful. <laughs> you know who else did that? Darius Shepard seven times. <laughs> <laughs> On the defensive side of the ball, we went with Nate Metters. Uh, meters. I meters. Meters. I meters. don't know why I said it wrong the first time. I believe it is meters. You had uh, to make two. up for Tug not being here. I Yeah. Keeping that Tug brand recognition. Uh, Nate Meters with two TFLs, 11 total tackles. Didn't take away the ball. I don't believe St. Louis, you know, really was able to do that other than that one like weird throw from Cole McDonald. So, you know, no shade. Nate Mitters, though, got to mess it up one more time for you. Uh, two TFLs from the defensive back position is pretty awesome. Usually doesn't happen. It's fun to see it when it does happen. And uh, it's also kind of terrible when you're relying on your defensive backs to make so many tackles, but it's okay. Once the safety, you can live with it. You know, at least he's doing his job and stopping big plays, which Houston really didn't have any. Honestly, they had like, what was the longest play they had on offense? Like three yards, it felt like. They didn't move the ball very much, like in chunks at all on this defense. 27-yard, 20, it was a 27-yard run by, well, even by Borgie, it was by Bryson Alleen. That, that checks. I, I also want to say <laughs> it's amazing that it took seven weeks for someone to bring up a Max Borgie to CMC comparison because they hmm. play very similarly. And then they put pictures of them next to each other. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not crazy. They do fucking look alike. <laughs> it was I was I sat there and I was just like, yes, vindication. I'm not I'm not insane. Hmm. But. We do have a a, a pick'em league, and what the fuck happened, Doug? I decided not to get any points this week. It was a conscious effort. I believe I should get maximum points this week because of it. Uh, <laughs> it, it should be like a if like I shoot the moon and spades, where you get every single book, so you actually give everybody else all the points, or. Like if you score a zero on your SAT and Harvard still accepts you because you've had to have known the right answers in order to get the wrong ones. That's probably what happened here, right? Definitely what happened. (laughs) No, I legitimately, I went through each pick. I was very confident in each and every one of my picks this week. I missed every single one of them. And you guys still can't catch me off that one time i hit the parlay and got like an extra 900 points <laughs> i'm just hanging on to that <laughs> it's not it's not cool i don't i don't approve yep i don't i don't, I don't approve i don't either this is bad Let's this is on. actually wrong i only earned 80 points this week because i said i got the over under on seattle yards correct and then cody latimer over under receptions i got that correct as well the biggest problem last night and it said 120. So maybe they corrected something. I don't know. Let's say 80. 
Either way, Tug jumped you, but he didn't jump me. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I will say, you know, I thought, I thought Pearson and Gordon were going to do a little bit better, but you know, credit to the Renegades, they really keyed in on them. Unfortunately, there are other guys on the offense as well. At some point, I was thinking, man, maybe they're going to cover somebody else up, but, you know, let them break free. But no, they they were committed. Uh, Jeff Bidette did not do really anything. I thought he'd get a touchdown. Uh, and then the Vipers, 16 and a half points. I thought for sure they're not scoring that many. Yeah, no, we don't they, have to go through each one of these. We can just move on. It's okay. Please. <laughs> I don't want to relive this. You're just I so picked, upset that you lost. Well, I'm still in the lead, so I'm okay, like in general, but I don't want to keep talking about this week in the Pick'em League. It's like, let's just continue. <laughs> so now we're looking at the bad, the ugly, and the good because we got to change up the order and we want to end on a good note as well. And we're going to start with the bad. And it's really just the whole quarterback. I don't want to say the room because I don't think any of these guys have done particularly awful. Jack Cohen has been the worst, and he's been serviceable. He had one good game. Right. <laughs> Which is about as much as they've gotten from all their other quarterbacks combined is one good game in total. The Brahmas cannot keep a quarterback healthy, and I'm not even putting it on the offensive line. It's not like their guys are getting killed. Right. I, the most fragile offense, you know, quarterback room, maybe. I don't this is this it's is tough. not good. This is not good. And Heinz Ward, man, I, I feel for him because his defense is playing pretty well. But then to have your quarterback like not have a solid quarterback there, it's hard to build a foundation of an offense. And yeah. you lost Kalen Balage. Right. Right. So that's it's tough to come back from having a fourth or fifth string quarterback potentially and a backup running back. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's just the fact this they're is, still in playoff contention is pretty incredible, honestly. Well, <laughs> that's just because the South is cheeks. Yes, confirmed. Next up, the ugly. We talked. We gave the announcers some praise, and they deserve it. There are a lot of things that they do well, but I was about to lose my fucking mind when the over under of thirty eight and a half was sitting precariously with a 38-point total in the Brahmas-Vipers game, and that's all they talked about the last 15 minutes of the game, the last entire quarter, because one of the sideline announcers bet the under. Yep. So it made it that much worse, and I don't care that he bet it. I really don't. I don't need to know his fucking bet in the middle of the game, though. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I know. That's kind of what I was thinking about it, too. Like, it's honestly... Who gives a shit if the announcers are betting on the game? I personally do not have a stake in that. That's fine. Don't make me have a stake in it. Don't talk about it all the fucking time. And just let the game happen. Call the game normally, please. It's still a football game, and it should still be interesting outside of your personal $25 bet. Leave me alone. <laughs> yes. And it was like it, they were picking on him about it, too. Like, yeah. Which I thought was kind of funny, but holy shit, shut the fuck up for five seconds. Right. Just let the game happen. The only reason I ended up being okay with it in my head later, they were in Vegas. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
that's the one game I'll kind of allow that. But come on, we don't have to talk about it every single week, all the time, please. <laughs> yes, and it it does seem like they talk about gambling more when the game is in Vegas. Like that has been just kind of a general trend and note yeah. that I've noticed. So you're right. I will 100% agree with you there. And then finally, we're ending on a good note. Doug, I know you, you're kind of wishy-washy on the whole subject. Me and Tug absolutely love care. this. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Tug love this. All right. So they have the red hat official and his whole job is to get the ball in so it's spotted quicker so the game moves faster yeah well with the kicking rules of the xfl if the wind knocks the ball down there is no defender extra defender there to hold the ball so instead of taking a guy completely out of the play what happens that's part of the red hat's job he gets to go up there hold the ball and the kicker comes up and kicks it and i love everything about it it's just weird to see when you're not used to it. And I called out and you were like jumped on me for saying that it looked weird, which it does look weird when you're not used to it. So that's literally my entire point was that it, wow, that's unusual. And you guys were like, what you hate it. You, you fucking <laughs> you scrub. No, I, it's fine. It's, it's kind of funny, honestly. But it really looks weird when you're very much not used to the XFL kickoff rules, which overall, I'm still kind of mixed on. Like, I entirely understand where they're coming from with it. And it does make for some interesting action further down the field. Um, man, I it still just looks so weird. I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> I think... I think it the entire rule. Now they need to figure something out with a penalty on a PAT that gets enforced on the kickoff that generally would benefit the kicking team, you know, getting them closer to a touchback. They need to figure something out with that. But otherwise, I think this rule needs to be implemented in the NFL and here's why. Everything about it, the penalties included, help increase scoring. The kickoff, even Roger Goodell will tell you a kickoff is the most exciting play of the game every single game when it's returned. Right. This encourages returns and it penalizes teams greatly, which puts the receiving team in better field position, which then means there's going to be more scoring. It takes every single box that they want. And then maybe you can say, okay, defense, you can play a little bit more defense than you have been. We're going to, you know, lighten some of the rules on you guys, let you play defense again. That part probably won't happen. But I think the first part absolutely should. I think this rule needs to be adopted by the NFL. I wouldn't mind seeing it adopted at every level, if I'm being completely honest. In the NFL, it needs to be the head ref holding the ball because they don't have a red, a red hat. Uh, so it'll be just <laughs> get the white hat holding the ball. Be fun. That would be <laughs> – could you imagine? <laughs> he made a bad call, so you just intentionally kick high <laughs> on the ball. And break his hand. <laughs> oh, geez. Now it'll <laughs> definitely not happen. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we got some power rankings to get into. Yeah. 
Yeah, the power rankings. Uh, ranking eight things out of ten places. Uh, do it every week. It's very fun. Let's get started. Uh, DC does not deserve the top spot this week because they lost to the previously winless Guardians. Uh, so top spot goes to the greatest F1 driver of all time. Max Verstappen? Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Uh, this is his third straight, third place finish. And if you're like, why well, is he the greatest of all time if he finishes in third place? Uh, that, number one, means that you don't follow racing. That's fine. But number two, you got to understand, the Red Bulls are so much faster than the Aston Martins. <laughs> and this man is making it enjoyable to watch. This weekend in Australia, there were three former champions up on the podium with Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, and Fernando Alonso in order one, two, three. Very exciting. Also a wild ass race. Um, I saw there are three restarts. Yeah. Fuck all those red flags. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also the Alpines crashing into each other. Like both Alpines DNF'd because they hit each other. Yeah. Um, Nick DeVries probably having the worst race of anyone ever in the history of F1. Like the second, just... the second restart is worth going and watching and finding. Like it is absolutely. If you like car crashes and nobody dies, right? If you like car crashes, go watch this one. Honestly, all of the restarts are pretty hilarious. Uh, something weird happens on each one of them, and the actual start of the race too. So, just a great time all around. Just go watch uh, the whole fucking race. It's probably on ESPN+. Plus. Well, you can find highlights on YouTube in about eight minutes. The whole race highlights in about eight minutes on the F1 YouTube channel. Highly recommended. Uh, number two on the XFL Power Rankings is an XFL team. I do still have DC <laughs> atop everybody else. Um, here's why. Number they scored one, 36 we- points. Yes. <laughs> we have talked about it past couple of weeks now. Orlando really does feel like a team headed in the right direction. They played out of their freaking minds this week and beat DC by one point. That was the greatest greatest performance of Quentin Dormady's life. He beat DC by one point. Also, DC has gone ahead and beaten... The St. Louis Battlehawks, the Seattle Sea Dragons, the Houston Roughnecks, who are three, four, and five here, uh, at least one time already. St. Louis twice now already. DC is still really good. Uh, St. Louis is the best of the rest, like, no question in my mind. They lost to DC twice, competitive both times. And they've beaten everybody else. Uh, It'll be really awesome to see them play Seattle again. And I'm I'm glad we got to see them up against Houston. Uh, Feels like potentially a big test, even though Houston's kind of fallen off. I do still see them as the best team in the South. But yeah, Seattle's damn good. Uh, Actually... In the coming weeks, I really wouldn't be surprised if Seattle ends up atop this list. 
especially with the addition of Philip Lindsay. Like that's really scary. Since week three, there has only been one time DC has not scored more than 30 points or 30 or more points. And it was against St. Louis. They only scored 28. Mm-hmm. And going back two weeks prior, that's it was a 34-28 game. So it was another one possession game. I mean, DC, they're putting up points in a crazy way because this league has been such a big passing league. Yeah. And they're coming out and saying, nope, we're going to do it our way. And they are killing it. Except for when they play the Orlando Guardians, who come in at number six in the power rankings. And now, at one and six, they are number six. It may be a bit early to bump them up this high. I don't give a fuck. Orlando <laughs> is awesome. Now, I'm fully on board. The Orlando Can Guardians. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, and legitimately, with the other teams in the South having quarterback issues due to injury mostly, not necessarily due to poor play, uh, with Houston have on this skid, the scariest team for anybody out of the South right now, to me, is the Orlando Guardians. I don't have them ahead of Houston at the moment. I still think Houston's better like all around. But the way they played this game against D.C., if they can keep that up, at least 80% of that up, they can stick around with anybody in this league, no question, and probably beat almost all of them. Like this is was- this is the classic story. Every game's a playoff game. Every game is a playoff game. But here's the thing. If they win out, or they play Arlington next. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Then they have San Antonio. The last game of the year is their only real one that I have penciled that they could potentially lose because it's against St. Louis and it's going to be it's probably going to be a must win for both teams. That yeah. game that that game very well could decide which one of those teams goes to the playoffs. Yeah, I would not at all be surprised if that ends up being the case. What a turnaround for Orlando just from 0 and 6 to Really, in my mind, one of the better teams in this league. They're in the mix for the playoffs. and They're absolutely in the mix for the playoffs. It feels like the second most deserving team for the playoffs at the moment. Because I do have them ahead of both San Antonio and uh, the other one, fucking Arlington. Arlington. (laughs) Well, here's, here's the thing. Arlington has three wins. San Antonio has two. Arlington plays Orlando. And then they have to play DC, and they end the season against Houston. Yeah. Right? I mean, this – Yeah, that's rough. It is going to be absolute chaos in the South. What a bad time to be figuring out a quarterback situation, too. Yeah. Oh, man. Not looking good for Arlington. But in the meantime, number seven, I do have the Vegas Vipers. I was surprised that they beat San Antonio. But they did, and they did so convincingly enough – that I do want to move them ahead of San Antonio, like legitimately could see them pulling that off again. Uh, And Jalen McClendon adds a very different wrinkle to this offense that I didn't know about until this game. And the rest of the league just found out about as well. Should be exciting to watch Vegas going forward. Number eight, I do have San Antonio ahead of number nine, Arlington. Uh, I feel bad for both these teams right now honestly 
it's kind of where I'm at. Quarterback situations, really not anybody's fault. It just is what it is, and it's rough. Yes, very, very much so. But like I said, I mean, let's look at this the rest of the way. San Antonio has Houston, then Orlando, and then they finish the year with D.C. They, especially the quarterback issues that they're having just with injuries and being unable to find a consistent starter, I don't want to completely just write them off. Right. But they, they're they they're pretty dead in the water right now. And Vegas is eliminated from the playoffs, even though they have a better record than Orlando because yeah. the North is so damn good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really, ideally, we would have a playoff of D.C., St. Louis, Seattle, and Houston right now. It's not the way divisions work. I understand that. But, yeah, those are the four best teams in the league right now. I mean, this. Uh, Yeah, man, it's rough. This is going to be a huge. Be a, this is going to be a wild finish in the XFL, which is everything you could really ask for from this league right now, right? Right. Right. We still have tenth place in the power rankings to get to, though. We do. We do. I know you're you're ready for this. You're gonna love this. Uh, number ten is pickleball. Fuck pickleball. It's old people retirement home sport and does not deserve to be on ESPN two at all. Let alone preventing us from watching an XFL game when it's supposed to start. This is a disgrace. This is YMCA old people tennis to help them stay in shape, make friends, and socialize. John McEnroe getting fired up about this game is ridiculous. He should be ashamed. ESPN should be ashamed for putting this on over football. It shouldn't get any airtime except for on ESPN 8 The Ocho. Yes. This is very much an ESPN Ocho sport. And no, it prevented us from watching the beginning of the St. Louis Battlehawks game. Uh, not not okay. I don't like that. No. Fuck this pickleball. was fuck pickleball. And this if you're, official stance of the big dudes in the trenches, fuck pickleball and if you're that dude who wanted to sit there and defend pickleball get a fucking life and watch a real fucking sport (laughs) and that does it for the xfl power rankings this week (laughs) who will take number 10 next week join us who will take number one next week it's it's gonna be race next week It's going to be very exciting to see how this works out and how everything shakes out because, like we said, the playoff picture is really starting to shake out. St. Louis gets a little bit of a reprieve, and then they have two must-wins in weeks eight and nine, but or nine and ten, rather. Week eight, though, they get to go back home. They finish the season at home their last three games. Great time to be at the Battle Dome, and they're going to take on the Vegas Vipers, who got an unexpected win. All the secrets about Jalen McClendon are out now, though. This is... I, I don't think Vegas is going to come out and be able to shock St. Louis in front of the home crowd. I still probably call this like a six to nine point line in favor of St. Louis. Uh-huh. Very, very nice line indeed. And this game's taking place on Saturday the 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern. It'll be followed up 
at 4 p.m. Eastern by Arlington at Orlando. Let's see if Orlando can get more than 15 people to the game this time. Now that they've got a win against the best team in the league and another yeah. very winnable game. Every game's a playoff game for them. I've already said it. Yes. They deserve to have an atmosphere fitting that. And according to the power rankings, we fully expect them to play pretty dang well against these Arlington Renegades who don't the jig is entirely up. have a quarterback. So the news is out on Renegades, and I believe the Guardians are about to find them. <laughs> about dang time. I, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Moving on into Sunday, we're back to finally just having Saturday and Sunday football, which it was nice to have some Feels Friday good. games. It was nice to Feels have a Monday night game. It feels good to be back Saturday, Sunday, though. This is like, going to be ideal. Yes. So on Easter Sunday, if you're around your family, after you find some eggs and enjoy a good meal, we have at 3 p.m. Eastern the Houston Roughnecks traveling to San Antonio to the Alamo Dome to take on the Brahmas. Houston has got to snap this losing streak because if they don't, the playoff picture gets even more insane in the South. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. This one's actually going to be on ABC as well as ESPN plus. So tune in with the whole family. Little known fact, Texas is so big that the distance between Houston and San Antonio is about the same as the distance between DC and Seattle. Real fact. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, is our final game of the weekend on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll be on ESPN2. DC is traveling out to Seattle. And this is this is must, must watch. Really, all of these games are must watch, in my opinion. I don't know. There's one that if there if you if you told me I had to pick one to not watch or get my wisdom teeth out, I would get my wisdom teeth out. But I already did that. So I'm going to watch all of them anyway. <laughs> If I had to pick one to not watch, I know you're a St. Louis Battlehawks fan. That would be the one that I stay away from, probably. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate to have to say that, but you brought it out of me. Thanks for dragging it out. You definitely asked for that completely. Yes, that's what happened. <laughs> no more questions. No further questions. <laughs> it's okay, because I've been playing with this all day. You see that? Fuck you. It's a, it's a, it's a, ref- oh, it was upside down. There we go. Replica ring. Replica ring. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball season's underway. It's, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We got spring football. We got baseball. Hey, if it makes you feel better, the Guardians are a hundred times better than the Cubs this year. So, yeah. And they were in 2016 too. Go fuck yourself. No, the Cubs were the best team in baseball in 2016. Go fuck yourself. Fucking shit. Go look at the record. Go look at the numbers. Dude, our bullpen was so great until they needed to be great. I know. It was awesome. Fuck me. So, Tug's not here, so I will take the links because I know you won't. Unless you want to because he's not here, which would be equally hilarious. I actually was about to get into them. (laughs) We do have a Patreon if you are so inclined. We would really appreciate your support to help us make this show a little bit better. Uh, patreon.com slash bdt football it's the same bdt football for twitter facebook our website uh mailbox at bdtfootball.com is our email address you know we have we are up on youtube we're up on twitch big dudes in the trenches both those places 
You can also find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever bullshit you listen to the podcast on, which like, why are you using some random weird app? Use one that everyone uses so that you can rate us and everyone can see that. That'd be much better for all parties involved. Definitely, definitely the case. Um, and I think if you want to join the Discord, it'll it's like down somewhere. You can find it. Tug never reads it. So in order to rub it in fully, I'm going to read it out to you. It's discord.gg slash rksptj. 4WTB. Figure out which of those are capital and which are lowercase by guessing, and you'll get special access to a super secret channel where we can become best friends. <laughs> that was fantastic. I'm going to make sure to tell Tug about that too. <laughs> hey, did you know? This is my fact. I'm fucking excited about this one. Did you know? Okay. That the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese, same person. Wow. The little rat bastard's up to something all the time, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is a good fact. I appreciate it. Are we doing Tug's thing? Fuck Tug's thing. <laughs> Get me you out know, of here. You know what we got to do. We will see y'all next week. Peace out. Peace out.